0: The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan on News Talk. I did mention um, uh, the protests calling for a massive expansion of eating disorder services. So, those protests are scheduled to take place in Dublin, Cork, and Limerick on the 2nd of March. Demanding urgent reform of these services right across the country, uh, many people I'm sure in attendance at those protests uh, will be detailing that when they needed the services most, what they found were obstacles instead of help. Two such people are Kira, who's 34 from Limerick, and Laura or Lauren, rather, who is 20 uh, from Dublin. Uh, you're both very, very welcome to the show, Kira and Lauren. Kira, if I can start with yourself, when did you first develop an eating disorder?
1: Yeah, well, I developed my eating disorder very young. So around the age of nine, I started. um, And it was very um, slow, like I started missing lunches and small things like that. Um, I went and first sought help at 13. Um, I went to my GP at the time with my mother. And I was basically told that it was a diet, it was a fad, and I'd grow out of it as you can imagine um, at 13 hearing that going home I just went deeper into my eating disorder because I didn't feel like I had a problem then mm. that was just reaffirming everything um, so then I, I had to I got sicker and sicker, basically until I got so um, so unwell that I fainted and ended up having to go into the psychiatric unit at 16 um, and that was
0: And, and Kira, yeah. sorry to cut across you I mean before we get to that point, just the your eating disorder, it manifested in, in you not eating, and undereating? Yeah,
1: in, yeah, okay. it was, yeah, at, at the beginning it was all undereating, restricting, um, and then it went into purging and exercise and laxatives. Um, okay. It was kind of a correlate of both uh, anorexia and bulimia, yeah.
0: And so we got up to the point you were 16 at this stage, yeah, seven yeah. years on from when it initially developed. Yeah. Um, uh, what happened then?
1: So I got just really sick, really sick. Um, I ended up collapsing, and I've been rushed to the medical side of the University of Limerick Hospital. Um, and of course, they only could treat me on fluids, uh, kind of rehydrate me. But I was so ill, um, and I was begging for support and help. Um, I was seeing my public psychiatrist at the time as an outpatient at sixteen. But because I wasn't, I was in between the CAMS and the adult unit because I was 16. I wasn't uh, 18 for the adults and I wasn't, I was too old kind of for the uh, CAMS. So that's where I kind of fell through and I couldn't get get the help. So I was sent into um, the psychiatric unit in Limerick. And to be honest, um, that time in there had a huge impact in how I progressed in my development of my eating disorder over the years. Um, the treatment there was very um, complicated, um, and yeah, I experienced. Um, sorry, my experience was that like everything was taken away from me. My rights, my family, my friends, everything. I couldn't have any any phone. I couldn't have books. I couldn't uh, turning books in the bed was seen as exercise. I had then been NG-fed, that's tube feeding. Um, So the basic focus was putting me on a bed. No nurses could talk to me, um, only when they were doing the the regular checks. But I was on 24-hour watch, and all all it was based on is getting my weight up. Um, And that was through a tube, not through by food. So as you can imagine, that doesn't eventually happen, but the core issue that was going on for my eating disorder was never, never addressed. Yeah. Um, and I actually took till I got a cardiac arrest for them to, um, till I got funding to go to the private hospital um, St Pat's in Dublin.
0: And how different was that treatment and how helpful was
1: it? Yeah, um, it was different in the aspect of it was just solely for eating disorders. Everyone there was solely for eating disorders. Um, And the nurses there were trained for like little comments that you might get maybe in a general hospital, like just eat, just have a pizza. Like that's what you hear on the general medical side, I suppose. When you go into these specialized units, they know how sensitive a topic it can be. And they try to support you along those lines. I think for me, I wasn't ready at that stage either to get better. I went straight kind of from that really strict psychiatric Side into um, this really compassionate side, and I didn't know what way I I should act. Like I just I went deeper into my eating disorder more than anything. um It's really complicated because you, we all have eating disorders for different reasons, and mine was solely driven by punishment. And I felt I deserved the punishment. So when I was getting that compassionate care in the private hospitals, I didn't know. I I felt I didn't deserve it. Um, because I didn't have private health insurance either. It was all, um, I had to fight, fight for it yeah. from the HSE to get the funding. And my family had to fight for it. Um, and it's just, I think that there's no support for families either. I think families need better support. Um, they're watching. They don't know what to do. Uh, they're just as yeah. helpless. And it's it's just, yeah, like this, it, I have to say, I've been to uh, the three private uh, hospitals over the years um, for the, for Asian disorders and each time they were different it really is down to where you're at and how you're at but you need that compassionate care, you need yeah. a nurse that will listen and hear you you need um, just that understanding it's not just about the food and the weight and I know that's a, a huge th- it is partly but that's not the whole thing and I think yeah. like that's where care is being missed is that uh, they have to look more at the core issue and get um, specialised
0: nurses and doctors. Lauren, if I can come to you for a moment um, and Kira, don't go anywhere because I, yep. I do want to come back to you. Um, wh- when did your eating disorder first manifest?
2: Yeah, uh, So I struggled as a teenager um, just kind of on and off and then during the COVID lockdowns it got quite serious pretty quickly. Uh, I was really struggling with Undereating eating and over and I was just getting very isolated at home away from kind of social circles and just interacting with people just the lockdown really affected uh, my mental health so uh, my mum and I went to the GP when I was 17 and I had a meeting with Cam's a week later who advised that we go to a so I spent two months in a general hospital from there and um, with not very much psychiatric support, unfortunately. Mm. And uh, As a child, I was still 17 um, on an adult's ward. You see a lot of things that you don't forget, and it really did impact my progress. I think that triggering comments and other patients and just a lot of things, just just, I don't think it's a suitable environment for people with eating disorders, uh, to be honest. Uh, But from there... Uh, I w- was meant to go to a CAMS inpatient unit, but there's physical criteria to access these. So I was 17, and a week before my 18th birthday, I reached the physical criteria to go to the CAMS unit. So I had seven days uh, in the unit, and on the morning of my 18th birthday, I was discharged um, as yeah. they couldn't care for me anymore as an adult. Um. There was not much of a plan in place really from there. They said, we won't send you in an ambulance, but we really think you should go back to the general hospital. So we did that, unfortunately, and I got home again. Um, But there was, I think it was nine months waiting list for uh, a private hospital for a specialized unit. So I actually spent another three months in a general hospital, uh, like a medical ward with tube feeding and minimal psychiatric support again. Um, so I think just the transition from being mm. a child to an adult uh, is a very, that was very
0: difficult. It, it just, and and it, correct me if I'm wrong, Lauren, but the sense I get from talking to you and uh, from talking to Kira as well is, is that I'm mean, sure there's lots of people within the system kind of doing sterling work and doing their best, but the, but there's not a kind of a coherent system Uh, And that seems to be the problem. I mean, you've talked, both of you, about kind of emergency departments and general hospitals and adult psychiatric units and uh, child and adolescent mental health services and private clinics and counselling and and, and all of that. And it just seems remarkable we don't have a a more coherent system given that the figures are something, is it 200,000 people are expected to experience kind of eating disorders at some point in their life?
1: Yeah, yeah, Um, and it has the highest mortality rate in mental illness. Like there's no traditional um transitional support there between the hospital and the home, like Lauren was saying she got discharged and was just left there. that was well, similar to my experience, you'd be months waiting on a waiting list until you could go and get extra help. Um and that that seems to be lacking and no communication between the hospitals or any of that. Um yeah.
0: Well I, I know as part of the protest there are kind of central demands around kind of more direct routes to access, connect it and yeah, sufficient yeah. levels of services uh, which is I guess the point we were just making and about more beds and more funding uh, and all of that and better transitional care as well that's a, a point you just made. Kira, um, Lauren, how how are you today? How's the health today?
2: Uh, it's definitely better than it was. Uh, there's still difficult days and uh, it's a mental health condition. So, even if I might appear to be doing fine, you can still have really strong thoughts and urges because it is a mental health uh, issue. So, definitely doing better, but uh, still good and bad days. It's uh, a long enough journey. But
0: yeah. Uh, Kira, how are you?
2: Yeah.
1: Um, Similarly, Lauren, um, I suppose I'm in a, the best place I've ever been. Um, Thank God. Um, that's only it. over the last year, I think, I've really worked it, really, and that came from myself more than any professional help. It was that I just got so sick of this illness. Now, I do have long-term um, effects on my body, which um, my pancreas, my kidneys, my, I lost my teeth, um, all my bones are affected. I have all those, it's always um, kind of always either I have to get watched and um, get the right helper, but... I'm in a much better place but I have good days and bad days like Lauren said it's it's something that will always I think we always have to kind of keep an eye out but it's about learning to to control it and I I'm so lucky that I feel like I'm in a much better place than I was years ago and I just hope that other people can get that Mm. that that get there too because this illness can be treated and it can be totally um, it's totally like people can recover I've seen people I've met people and it's just it's a pity that sometimes you get lost in the system, and that's the sad part of this.
0: well listen, yes. uh, continued battles, notwithstanding. I'm sure everybody listening would be relieved to hear you're you're both in a better place now than you would have been at different points in the past. um I mentioned the protests they're happening on the second of March. Uh, they're happening around the country, uh, largely organised by Mind Everybody. If anybody has been affected by this conversation, um, you can contact Bodywise on their national helpline, 01 7906. So that's 01 7906. Kira and Lauren, thank you both very much for joining us.
2: Thank you very much, Kieran.
0: The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan. Weekdays from four on News Talk.